Welcome back to Basic Brain Heart, the show where we celebrate and interrogate creatives of all stripes. I'm Hannah Camacho. In case you weren't aware, Basic Brain Heart is a podcast, so you can find this wherever you listen to your podcasts and easily subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. Don't forget to join our communities on Twitter at Basic Brain Heart and also our Facebook page, Basic Brain Heart. A simple sh- search should take you there. Um, Also, I want to apologize if you reached out to me via Instagram. Instagram has this feature where if you message someone and you haven't been previously connected, uh, they throw your message into a bit of a spam folder. Um, And I forget to check that thing all the time. And I finally did. And there were a few messages in there I had missed. So I apologize if you were one of those who had messaged me and it took me a while to get back to you. I promise it was nothing personal. One other small uh, housekeeping matter. I know, I know you want me to get on with the show, but you might notice we have some new album artwork today. And that's only because I got tired of looking at my face every single time it came time to upload the album artwork. So um, I played around with that a little bit and we may occasionally change that from time to time because I think it's nice to have something different to look at uh, when it comes to the podcast. But rest assured, it's the same show, just a different look. This week on the podcast, we have the fantastic Dan Powell. Dan is a legend uh, at Comedy Central and has been there for years. He's well-beloved and trusted and attributes a lot of his luck in the industry to, well, luck as well as hard work. Uh, Dan is the co-creator of Inside Amy Schumer and has produced so many shows that it's hard to name them all. Uh, But he's also been a producer on The Daily Show, a show many of us are familiar with. I find it very interesting that Dan has actually been experimenting in indie filmmaking lately and he's always looking to expand his skill set. He just uh, released a movie called Bex and we got into that topic quite a bit and he discussed what the movie's about and the pros and cons of producing a movie all on your own. So I'm going to get out of the way and let Dan do the talking now. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Dan Powell. Dan, thank you so much for taking some time to chat with me. I sincerely appreciate it. And of course. I'm really looking forward to hearing your story, kind of about your background and your journey to this point. But uh, before we go back in time, I'd love to hear about what you're up to these days. Uh, well, these days, um, you know, the last five years or so, I've been working on Inside Amy Schumer. But um, when we wrapped our fourth season last year, um, we didn't pick up for a fifth, but we knew that we were going to go on a uh, a pretty long hiatus because we'd just been going at it for so long. We were all a little burned out, and Amy in particular had sort of, you know, um, gone from a sort of moderately known road comic to a sort of international movie star over the course yes. of, the, <laughs> of the, uh, the show. So, you know, she had a number of movies lined up and a world tour and everything like that. And also the show is such a grind, especially for her, where she's not just... Mm-hmm performing in it, but also, you know, we're in the writer's room, she's in all the edits, everything like that. It takes up, you know, a good half of the year, um, and it's just very exhausting to do. So um, we're on hiatus from the show um, for probably quite some time. And uh, so, you know, I put a bunch of new stuff into development, and uh, all of these projects are kind of slowly working their way through the development process. I've got something with Fox, something with Adult Swim, 
um, a couple other things. But uh, and you know, with development, you just never really know if they're going to end up seeing the light of day. Um, but I also did a film, um, my first feature, which we shot a couple months after season four of Schumer wrapped. Um, it's this little kind of um, low-budget indie musical drama called Bex uh, that I co-directed and co-wrote with Liz Rohrbaugh. And um, that just made its festival premiere a couple weeks ago at the Los Angeles Film Festival. And, Congrats. Um, thank you. Yeah, we're very excited. We actually won Best U.S. Fiction Film at the festival. So That's amazing. That was um, so, you know, we're, it's making its way through the festival circuit now. We're actually playing at Outfest this Sunday night in Los Angeles. And then, um, uh, we're negotiating with, a a couple distributors to sort of see what the distribution plan will be for it later this year. But, uh, if everything goes smoothly, uh, it should be out and hopefully a handful of theaters. And then, you know, the whole VOD iTunes, uh, you know, digital streaming, <laughs> various streaming services uh, uh, later this year. Yeah. That's really exciting. By the way, is there a trailer available to view online yet? There isn't yet. Uh, I wish there was. Uh, sadly, the movie is so low budget that by the time we got to the point <laughs> of it. maybe cutting a trailer, we were just so broke that uh, we opted not to do that until, you know, w- once we've locked in a distributor, they will That's put great. up I love the, uh, the resources to cut a trailer. So I'm, I'm so sad to say that there isn't one. <laughs> Well, I'll They're photographs. You can see still photos online uh, in the articles and stuff. Sweet. But, no, yeah. that's really great. And I look forward to kind of diving into that journey um, in a few minutes here. Um, I'd love to go back in time a little bit. I think refreshingly, you're one of the creatives that didn't necessarily know from six months of age exactly what you wanted to be when you grew up. Sometimes I find that a little bit discouraging. You know, I'm the mom of three and I'm still figuring out exactly what I want to be when I grow up. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about your background and um, your journey to understanding the direction you wanted your life to go as far as a career is concerned. No, yeah, I definitely was not, uh, you know, one of these kids who was making, you know, high eight videos at, uh, you know, eight millimeter, (laughs) you know, films when I was seven years old and cutting them together like Spielberg or Chris Nolan or whatever. And it's always, I agree with you, it's such a bummer to read that because it's like, oh, did I have to be making movies when I was four to like, in order to be a successful filmmaker, it did have to be like in my DNA. Um, no, when I was growing up, I wanted to be an aeronautical engineer and, uh, awesome. I even went to like engineering summer camp and things like just possibly nerdy stuff like that. Um, but towards, uh, it was basically like sort of right around puberty, like my genes kind of flipped their switches and, all those, I used to be good at math, and that just kind of went away instantly, and I became oh. more interested in the humanities and, uh, you know, the arts. And so mm. my interest switched more to, like, politics and history. Um, Interesting. And when I, when I went into college, the initial intention was to um, government politics, but then in college... Uh, you know, I started taking film classes and just found it very interesting. And I started writing for the humor magazine and I found that very interesting as well. And so by the time I finished college, I kind of knew that I wanted to go into, um, into film and, and or television, actually more specifically an interest in independent film, um, which is why I ended up moving to New York. It was not to work in comedy. Um, I ended up getting my job at Comedy Central after a job uh, with an independent film company fell through, oh, interesting. Um, but I was already, I'd already signed a lease in New York. I couldn't really 
drop everything and move oh, to no. LA. I just couldn't afford it. Yeah. So um, I went to a temping firm and they said, well, what are you interested in? I said, comedy and independent film. And uh, they just happened to work for Comedy Central. You know, they happened to supply temps to Comedy Central. And so uh, a couple weeks later, a, a job opened up in development, you know, a temp position opened up in development. And I went over there and that just sort of started this process of me working in various capacities for Comedy Central for about 16 straight years. <laughs> um, you know, in, in a lot of different ways. I, I was an assistant for a couple of years, then I was at The Daily Show where I worked in their field department, um, which was a great time because that was when, like, Colbert was still a correspondent. I, I started at The Daily Show the same week as Ed Helms. Uh, I did a lot of pieces with Rob Corddry. Um, nice. Then I ended up going back to the network during, after there was an executive shakeup. Um, I went back to become a development executive, and I was there for five years in that capacity. And then I left to um, in 2009 to write and produce this show I developed called Ugly Americans yes. uh, with Devin Clark. Yeah, I actually bought the show from Devin as an executive and then left to produce it. Uh, and right as that show was sort of on its way, you know, ran for 31 episodes, which at the time on Comedy Central was like a friend's <laughs> like, <laughs> like pipe run. Comedy Central was known for sort of canceling things after one season or yes. that time. Um, but when it was on its way out, uh, Amy Schumer, who I'd known from when I was an executive, approached me and said that she'd gotten a blind pilot commitment from Comedy Central and she needed a producer and I was going to do it. She didn't ask me. She just told me I was going to do it. <laughs> and uh, I said, Did you know sure. her beforehand? And Did you guys have a relationship before that? or? Not, um, you know, we knew each other casually. The way we knew each other was, um, speaking of one season and out shows on Comedy Central, um, during the writer's strike in 2007, there was a sort of moment of panic at Comedy Central because all of our shows oh, really yeah. require comedy writers. You know, we didn't do any reality or we hadn't yeah. since um, Insomniac with David Hell, I think, was the, the most recent, you know, reality style show on the network and that, that had gone away several seasons earlier. Um, so there was this panic of like, what are we going to do if this strike drags out? So yeah. they immediately put two reality shows into development. One was um, a reboot of the gong show with David Tell as the host. Okay. And the other was this reality show I developed called reality bites back. That was, it was a reality competition show that was itself a parody of all the different reality <laughs> shows that were popular at the time. Brilliant. So each episode was a parody of a different like, you know, the first episode making fun of The Biggest Loser and the second episode Flavor of Love, which was popular <laughs> at the time. And then, of course, the f series finale was like a mashup of like Survivor and a handful of other things. And, That's great. You know, it, people didn't really know what to make of reality stuff on Comedy Central. So both of those shows, you know, were canceled as soon as the writer's strike was over. It's like, <laughs> all right, let's go back to what we really do. But um, Amy was actually one of the contestants on that show because it was all real comedians as contestants. Oh, that's great. And um, Amy was actually the runner-up. But uh, we met on set and we got along well. And uh, so when, by the time, you know, she was given a blind pilot commitment based off of her performances on the roasts, uh, specifically, I think, the, um, oh. uh, the roast of Charlie Sheen. Yeah. And uh, it was very rare for Comedy Central to just hand out a blind pilot commitment because they don't have, you know, broadcast network money. But I think she had done so well that they were like, look, we don't know what your show is, <laughs> you but we know we want to do something with you. So, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, literally it was, it was 
a situation of we're going to do a pilot with you, but we don't know what that show is, so hire a producer, figure out the show, and come back to us, tell us what it is, and we'll make it, you know? That's exciting. Um, And uh, that was around December of 2011 when she reached out to me, and we did the pilot in 2012, and it was picked up, and then the show premiered in 2013. Oh, wow. It's been a whirlwind, it sounds like. Yeah, from December of 2011 when I was hired up until when we wrapped... um, which I guess was early 2016, mm. early last year. It was just sort of nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> no it, doubt. It aged me 15 years. And I four can imagine. Years, I'm sure it was is... fun. I mean, it's fun to be, you know, I, I, I was on The Daily Show and from 2002 to 2004, and that was kind of the time when it went from like, oh, this, you know, interesting, quirky little show that yeah. Craig Kilborn had hosted and John Stewart took over to becoming this sort of like, kind of becoming a cultural phenomenon yeah. and just, you know, starting to win Emmy after Emmy. And I was just, just to be clear, I was a junior producer on the show. It was just a cog in the machine, but it was fun to be part of it. Absolutely. And, just, and sort of knowing at the time, like, wow, this must be what it's, what it was like to like work on SNL in the seventies or the Simpsons in the early nineties, just to be part of this thing that has sure. just suddenly taken off. And, um, I sort of realized at the time, like this might be the only time I, get to work on a you know a show like this because <laughs> yes. you know usually comedy writers and comedy producers you just kind of go from show to show and you're you're just lucky if one takes off throughout your entire career and sure, yeah. it happened at the daily show so early in mine i was like oh i guess this is it <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so for then it to happen again but at a more senior level on inside amy schumer was yeah. a, was a really fun ride especially since fantastic. the um the the co-show runner and the head writer jesse klein um, was a very old friend of mine, someone I'd, I'd worked with at Comedy Central since 2000, and she was the first person Amy and I hired as, as head writer. And so just to go through that whole process with one of my closest That's friends so was a, really fun. Absolutely. I've heard you attribute a lot of your success to luck, which I think is um, hopefully true for most folks who are successful. There's some bit of luck in there. Um, but what parts do you feel have not been due to luck? Because you've obviously you have a gift and you're doing something right. So there's, there's certainly luck involved, but what do you feel has helped you continue on this trajectory? Um, you know, I, I, I will say, look, a great deal of it is just luck and timing and, you sure, know, look, there, there's that very trite, you know, like cliched, you know, phrase that's like, you know, uh, but it's I, true. I'm going to botch it, but you know, that it's hard work plus, you know, sure. timing equals success. Uh, you know, I, I will say the one thing I do is I, I work really, really hard. Um, and that's not just a matter of putting in mm-hmm. long hours, which I think anyone can do, but it's just I'm constantly trying to develop new projects in the, sure. you know, knowing that, you know, just in this industry, the math is terrible. You know, <laughs> out of every 10 projects you develop, you might be able to sell you know, or I mean, let's take it back out of every like 30 projects you develop, you might be able to sell like five. And then mm-hmm. of those, maybe two get to pilot. And then you're, you're lucky if one gets to series. So it just means that you just, it's a numbers game and you have to be constantly sure. working on new things and having irons in the fire. And, um, and then just, I think getting used to like sh- things just going away and failing or, and even if they make it to air, there's, you know, it's, the likelihood is yeah. you're not going to get a second season or, or people, you know, the funny thing is, is I'm not even afraid of like spectacular failures where it's like a big public failure because mm-hmm. most shows are just shrugged off, 
no one really cares or talks about them, and they just kind of quietly go away. You know, yeah. even if even if they make it out there, um, and those are the kind of things that I'm most used to. You know, um, but if you just keep at it, eventually you sort of, especially if you have relatively decent taste, and you 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 know you try to work with really talented people. Sure. Um, a handful of things just sort of find their way through the ether, you know, <laughs> yes. and uh, that sort of weird, impossible, and you know, magic of like everything just kind of coming together just happens and and it works out. But it, it's you really have to like just put in so Fun much effort now. into things that are just going to go away, you know, um, to, to get to get those successes. Yeah, I can I can imagine uh, parting with projects is pretty common and something you have to get used to um i'm do you remember any of the early lessons you learned when you started writing jokes it sounds like it wasn't something you were necessarily really hardcore planning on and preparing for it kind of just happened um and it sounds like you came naturally by it um but once you started writing comedy were there any specific things you began to learn about how to write a good joke how to write good comedy i'd love to hear about it um, yeah, I mean, you know, look, first of all, I don't really consider myself the strongest comedy writer, I think, and maybe it's because I just work with some of the most talented comedy writers on the planet, um, yes. but I was definitely, like, the least funny person in the in the Inside Amy Schumer writer's room, um, <laughs> even as the operational showrunner, like, if I wasn't responsible and good with budgets and sort of good with talent, I, there's, you know, I definitely would not have been in that room, but, um... <laughs> Uh, and that's just me being like real about sort of knowing my limitations. <laughs> I'm, sure. I think I'm solid. I don't think I'm a, you know, a terrible comedy writer, but I think, you know, part of this industry is sort of knowing your strengths and knowing Absolutely. your your limitations. And so, you know, look, I came up through the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater, and I took classes there, and I was a house performer there for a couple of years, um, which I think was a good thing because, you know, really like, even though I didn't have performing aspirations myself, it allowed me to sort of see what performers go through sure. and, and also just to meet a bunch of great performers. Cause that's the biggest thing is just, you know, if you're, if you're going to be a, a writer, even if you don't, even if you're never in front of the camera, you, you're writing for performers. So you really need to know their craft as well and what they go through and everything like that. So that, you know, you know how to write for them. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, for me, the the whole thing has just been like a nonstop process of just like learning on the go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where like it's really you just have to figure it out as you go along, and also just immerse yourself in the comedy world and just write a ton of stuff that, frankly, like for the first you know number of years is just going to be garbage. You know? <laughs> yes. um, I mean, look, every now and then, you know, there are these sort of comedy writing savants like Michael Komen or Simon Rich, sure. but um, most of the best comics I know really struggled at first and when, and comedy writers and comics, you know, struggled at first and also just wrote or, sure. you know, performed stuff that was really, you know, green or weak or just, you know, they hadn't found their voice yet. I mean, I think... Hannibal Burris is sort of widely known for when he started off in Chicago as just being, you know, like you would hear stories about how about how bad Hannibal was in the beginning, and now I think he's one of the finest stand-ups out there. And you know, I I saw, I remember seeing Pete Holmes at Bonnaroo uh, a couple years ago. You know, this is right before he got his his late night show, and and certainly before Crashing. 
But, um, and I've been, you know, I started off in talent relations at Comedy Central, so I've sort of seen Pete from the moment he moved to New York, and, and then when I saw him at Bonner a couple of years ago, I was just sort of staggered at how much wow. he had improved over the course of a couple of years, and it was just like, and, and to a certain extent, that is almost more impressive to me than if you're just like a savant, you know, if it's like, Definitely. you're just good at it from the beginning, because he really put in the the time and the effort and, and honing his craft and uh, and just became incredible. And now he, I think, his last two comedy specials are two of my top ten favorite specials Absolutely. of all time. And it, it, um, it has to take so much guts to do that, too, when you know you, may, you aren't good <laughs> and you have to work to get there and to do it in front of a live audience. I can only imagine. Well, it's sort of, it's, it's real, that's kind of why it's a pleasure watching his HBO show crashing now because now he's sort of... Uh, documenting those initial couple years of him doing stand-up Definitely. and when he didn't know what he was doing. And so it's uh, it's been fun kind of watching that, especially since, I, like I said, uh, some of those um, you know shows and things like that, I was actually probably at when I was a younger <laughs> talent executive for Comedy Central. That is fantastic. I love it. I'm curious, do you enjoy the process of writing? I've heard so many writers, especially for television, you know, episodic features, they really despise the actual process of writing. They, you know, enjoy the end product. Um, is that the case for you or do you actually enjoy the process? I think it depends from project to project. Sure. Like there are certain ideas that I have that I love, but but for some reason the the right the process of writing it is like pulling teeth and it just, I have to force myself to, you know, basically what I do is I just give myself a page count, you know, if it's a screenplay that I have to write X many pages per day, regardless of, you know, and I'm not allowed to go to sleep until I do it. And on Mm -hmm. some of those days, it's just like, it is just torture, (laughs) you know, getting those pages, (laughs) getting, and three pages in final draft is nothing like that should take you 20 (laughs) minutes, but, um, you know, it's just excruciating. And then every now and then I'll just sort of hit these, um, I'll just get some momentum and then it comes much easier and I'll be writing like 20 pages a day. Um, but that's rare. I mean, usually it is like I have to put myself on a, you know, it's almost the equivalent of like a diet where it's like, okay, you know, you have to spend this many hours and you have to write these many pages. And then I, I know that yeah. six weeks from now I'll have a first draft that'll be garbage, <laughs> you know, <laughs> then I'll sit on it for a couple months and go back and, you know, have to kill half the scenes and rewrite them yeah um yeah i mean it's uh it's a job and and yeah. frankly like um you know i stephen king i know people have like sort of mixed feelings on him as because sure. he's very much like a pop a pop author but um if i highly recommend his book on writing it um, is fabulous which is, i agree yeah, I mean, you know, it's half autobiography, and then the other half is basically like this is how I've been so prolific, and he just mm. sort of talks through his um, his writing model. But I mean, it, it, to him, it's the reason he's so prolific is it's all about just like doing it every day yeah. for a certain amount of hours and a certain amount of word count, and and that's why he's able to pull it off. And um, that that book really had an effect on me and, and my work ethic. That's cool. I love that book, and and it's yeah, it's it's always refreshing to hear people get real about that because. I think we tend to romanticize the writing process when really it's it's very hard work and it's very taxing. But so that's refreshing. Thank you. Um, attention, no problem. Attention to detail is something I know that you've talked about um, is really important when producing. Um, is that something you come by naturally? It sounds like it is. Um, and are there parts of producing and even show running that 
you've had to learn that have maybe been tricky to um, add to your repertoire of skills? Uh, wow, that's, uh, that's a loaded that's question. A question. <laughs> that's all right. Um, I mean, you know, look, I think attention to detail is kind of the, you know, sort of the trick in any trade of, sure. of like, you know, taking something from being just like fine to something that, you know, it, it's the devil's in the details, I guess. And so, sure. um, you know, I mean, look, show running is a big project management job. Um, and that, yes. that term has become very, it's such a nebulous term now because like <laughs> you have showrunners like Vince Gilligan or, you know, Matt Weiner, where it's like, this show is their singular vision. You know, yes. they are the ones <laughs> guiding both the creative and overseeing every part of the process. And then there are shows like, you know, Inside Amy Schumer, where Amy's like the Amy and Jesse and I are the creative showrunners, uh, but then I'm called the showrunner because because it's more of like an operational thing sure. where I'm overseeing all the different departments and all you know whether it's production or the writer you know the writing team or the post production team everyone kind of reports up to me in an operational capacity mm. um but there's very little that's necessarily like creative about that it's more just about that's more about like okay you have a fixed amount of money and what is the best way to spend that money so that um we can execute the best most impressive version of like what Amy and Jesse and the writers want to do, sure. you know? Um, so, and again, I think that's been sort of the trick of my career is balancing both the creative end of what I do with the, uh, the project project management responsibilities, sure. um, which is, you know, it, it's kind of nice straddling that line. Cause look, most of the br- most brilliant comedy writers, definitely don't have that skill set of like, you know, being able to look at a calendar and a budget and figure you know, and millions of dollars and okay, how do we allocate this and how do we, um, you know, delegate the work properly and uh, everything like that. They just want to be, you know, show up, given a time to show up at the writer's room and given their yeah. assignments and, and throw jokes around. And then at the end of the day, they get to go home and not mm. think about that stuff for the rest of the day. Mm. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little off track. But, no, uh, I it, love it. It is, yes, I guess the secret of my career has been just sort of trying to balance the two where I get to, I do get to be part of the writing and the creative process, mm. but I also have enough knowledge of the rest of the process that um, I, I get a lot of calls. I, I do get a lot of calls about, like, we have a young, you know, sort of rather extraordinary talents that we want to do something with, but they've never made a TV show before. Mm. They wouldn't know where to even begin. Sure. Can you help kind of hold their hand through this process, give them creative notes, but also basically teach them how to make a television show. (laughs) Um, And so that's, that's a lot of the, um, a lot of the offers I get are sort of uh, of that nature because of my skill set. Huh. It seems like you kind of do have a bit of a sixth sense about um, the folks that are really going to make it and be something. Um, have you ever been able to verbalize what it is about those folks that you see in them that you know is going to be different? Or is it just different for every person? It's just something you really can't explain. Uh, you know, it is hard to put into words. Um, I'm working with someone now, Sharako uh, Dunlap. Uh, I, I'm producing a digital series for her that I think we're eventually going to take to TV. She wrote for Fallon and then went over okay. to 
man seeking woman. She's kind of a, a protege of Simon Rich. Okay. Uh, she's working on his new show, and I think they sold a movie together. Um, she wrote this piece for the New Yorker that went kind of viral about New York to LA ad infinitum that uh, people were passing around, and uh, she was one person where uh, this company I have a deal with, First Look Media was interested in doing something with her and she had this one short film script that they you know they knew they wanted to shoot but maybe can it be developed further into a thing mm. and so um I looked at all her materials and was just really blown away that she she has such a unique and interesting voice mm. and um just style of writing where it's like oh I haven't seen this before you know um and so that just made me really excited to work That's with her cool. and and that series is going to come out in August, and I'm I'm really proud of it, and uh, really excited for That's people exciting. to see it. I'll tune in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's called Everything it. Is Okay. Yeah, it's called Everything Is Okay. It's a, a five episode digital series that'll be on Topic, which is First Look Topic dot com, um, and it should should be out in August. So, uh, but you know, it's yeah. um yeah, it's 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 hard to say. I mean, sometimes there are there's a a piece of talent where I see a short film that they did. Um, that just really blows me away. Like um, uh, Bridie Elliott starred in this miniseries I did called Thanksgiving. She's a, she's Chris Elliott's daughter, one of his daughters. Yeah. yeah. And um, when we were working together on Thanksgiving, she mentioned that she'd done the short film um, that, that got into Sundance. And so I asked to see it and I saw it and I just was really, really impressed. Wow. It just, just, Something where it's like, oh, this is so unique and original, and it, you just mm. feel like a, a very original voice. Um, and so I asked if my company could invest a little bit of money in her first feature. That's awesome. And um, so we're we put a little bit into that. We're not really creatively involved, but it's just like sure. I just love seeing, you know. And this a similar filmmaker, Anu Valya, had her her short film one. Um, uh, one Sundance either last year or the year before. And uh, I saw that and was kind of blown away by it. So I asked if we could work on developing a, a feature with, you know, together. And um, it, I don't know. It just really comes from like sure. I need to I need to see something that really okay. impresses me and feels like I haven't seen it before. And this is just something that really only could have come from you. And as opposed to okay, this is you went to UCB classes and. The sketch you wrote is very funny, but I can see like <laughs> the archi- safe, the yeah. UCB architecture behind it. Like, you know, here's the initial <laughs> the setup, and then you and then you heighten and heighten and heighten, and then there's a twist at the end. And like, look, obviously, like there's if you can do that really well, you're going to have a very successful career as a comedy writer sure. because that is most of the comedy that gets put out there. But yeah. for for me, it's it's like. You know, are you doing something that I've never seen sure, before? Sure, break outside the formula. That That's really interesting. I love it. Um, as far as leadership is concerned, since you've been in the industry for a while and certainly are really handed the reins of various creative projects, um, what do you feel has come easily to you? And it sounds like, you know, keeping things organized and being responsible and hardworking certainly does. Um, and is it tricky to keep the peace and keep everyone happy when you have that many talented creatives in a room and I'm certainly not asking for any stories or anything but um, has that been tricky and or what you've found to be helpful when keeping that many creative folks happy as they work together well one thing we did at Schumer was um, we did not keep I think if people 
Well, I'm going to tell you, but I think like <laughs> people who are about to hear the hours that we worked in the writer's room are going to mm. be, be kind of furious because, um, <laughs> I mean, we would basically start in the writer's room at like 11 a.m. Um, and then not really ever go past like four or five. That's great. Um, and, you know, I know there are a lot of very successful shows that keep like insane hours. Yeah. Um, but Amy and Jesse and I weren't really interested in that. I mean, first yeah. of all, I think it's hard to be funny before like... 10 a.m., you know, um, and then also I just think at a certain point, if you're You've maxed there, you know, yeah, it's diminishing returns at a certain point, and the, the biggest thing for me is that, like, look, you know, if you spend all of your life in a writer's room, um, then all your life experience comes from, like, mm-hmm. interacting with other comedy writers yes. in this writer's room, and there are certain shows, again, without naming them, where that have started <laughs> off so great and then you start to see in seasons two and three that like the snake starts to eat its tail a little bit. They start mm-hmm. to get really meta and self-referential. And to me, I think the reason is, is like none of these writers are getting to do anything other than sit in a writer's room and, and write comedy. So, any, you know, anything that they're writing is coming from like what they've already put on the show and, you know, and just the conversations that they've had with their other comedy writers. And it's, um, I, I, it's important to me that like, if you're writing on a show that like at a certain point you're able to go home, go out to dinner and drinks with friends, hang out with your significant other, like, you know, live your life and have life experiences that normal (laughs) human beings that are the viewers of these shows that aren't writing comedy, are also experiencing so that um, you have actual material to come into the room with. And yes. uh, I think that was a big part of the success of Inside Amy Schumer was that, like, we actually let the writers live their lives and not, you know, sort of quarantine them inside a writer's room for three months. That's brilliant. I love it. And that's really refreshing to hear because you're right. So many folks, and we were just at last week's episode talking about how it seems to be this badge of honor. The more you work, the less sleep you get. Um, you know, is something that is coveted and bragged about. But if you're so right, if you're not living that life experience, what are you going to draw from? That well is going to be dry. I love it so much. Um, As far as the differences between live action versus animation, it's really amazing that you've delved into both of those worlds. So few people do. Um, Is there something you love about each one um, that you've appreciated uh, being a part of or learning about? Well, I love animation. I mean, first of all, I just I love design and illustration. It's a talent. It's another yes. talent that I just don't have. Like, I'm, and so watching, you know, Devin Clark, who was the creator of Ugly Americans, who I'm working on this Adult Swim project with, is just such an incredible illustrator. And like the way he's able to like imagine something and then translate it into so cool. into this a beautiful picture is just such is. Like it's a talent that I really wish yes. I had and just don't. So I'm, I'm. That's the other thing is like I'm drawn to people who have these abilities that I just don't necessarily have myself, and sure. like surrounding myself with talented people who you know I can sort of like live vicariously through their, through their talents, <laughs> and maybe also look, maybe also you know augment their talent with my skill sets to be able to get them a TV show, and you know, and 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 able to like help them have you know translate their their talents into a sort of next stage of success. But, um, but I love animation just because of a, the design, like, you know, uh, end of things. And also, you know, from a comedy writing producing perspective, the amount of control 
that you have because mm-hmm. in, in you know in live action you know you write it you shoot it and then you get into the edit and you know a lot of times it's like well this isn't exactly how I thought it would go or you know you basically you're stuck with what you've shot and you yeah. do the best with the footage that you have which ends up generally being fine and that it is what it is in animation you can really sort of hone each joke to be exactly what you know for the the timing yes. the expressions the pacing you can get it to exactly where you want it. And there's just, you know, for a perfectionist and someone who's as inorganizative as I am, there's something really appealing in that <laughs> amount of awesome. like control. You plan every, every tiny piece, which yeah, you're right. It's amazing. Um, you've got a new project uh, that's of course a departure of the comedy that you have been with for so long. And it sounds like one of your first loves was independent film and still is, of course. Can we talk a little bit about Bex and what drew you to that project? I would love to. Um, yeah, so, you know, I actually moved to New York to work for a company called Good Machine, um, which no longer exists, but is sort of a great deal of the staff kind of, evol- it sort of evolved into focus features, okay, which is obviously yeah. a very, um, yeah, and at the time it was, I interned there in college and it was at this boutique independent film production company that was the sort of home for a handful of directors, um, specifically Ang Lee. Todd Solomons, oh. Todd Haynes, wow. and Ed Burns. And um, they were also doing projects with, like, um, they did In the Bedroom. They did a lot of, like, um, Nicole Hall of Center stuff. Sure. And uh, who I later got to work with, she directed the uh, the Last Fuckable Day sketch on Inside Amy Schumer with Julie Louis-Dreyfus and <laughs> Tina Fey. And that Patricia was a Arquette. fantastic one. Uh, that was fun, because then I got to see... Nicole directing all these incredible women. That was a great, <laughs> just amazing. As, as, as an aspiring independent film director, that, that was my sort of like I starstruck bet. moment. Um, especially when she admitted that she was terrible with eyelines, which I'm also terrible with. Like there is, you know, it's like, the, yes. the, I'm not, I'm bad at math and I'm like, Oh my God, if Nicole Hall center admits <laughs> that she's awful with eyelines, then maybe I actually can direct my own oh, I love stuff. It. Um, but, uh, when, so, you know, but when I left Comedy Central in 2009, I, like I said, that, that job at Good Machine ended up not working out, and I, I landed at Comedy Central. And um, when, you know, when I f- decided to leave Comedy Central to produce Ugly Americans in 2009, I also sort of realized, like, wow, I moved to New York to be a director, and I have not directed a single thing. Hmm. since. It's been almost a decade since I graduated, and I haven't directed a thing. Sure. So I realized that if I'm going to do this, you know, with TV paying my bills, I had a little bit of leeway to like start hmm. directing stuff on the side. And I, I mean, I started in like directing like web series episodes, <laughs> nice, you know, hey. and um, it was a really, it was interesting because on one end of things, I was like an executive producer of a show that was on TV and I was like a showrunner. But then in my, dir- I was just starting from rock bottom. It seems like a nice safe space to career. do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was certainly lucky in that I had like, the, the financial wherewithal to be like, all right, my bills are paid. I don't have to worry about, sure. you know, I can direct stuff on nights and weekends without having to worry about where the money's coming from. Sure. But, um, I mean, I started in web series and then I directed a very low budget pilot for MTV. Um, I agreed to produce it in exchange for, they had to let me direct it. Um, and then off of that, I got signed by a commercial production company. And so I, I do I actually do commercials on the side. Um, Sweet. and it turned into a sort of very nice, <laughs> you know, sort of um, yeah. way to pay pay the bills in between seasons of TV. Any commercials we might have seen? Um, 
I'm trying to think. I mean, I've done stuff for Chase Bank, like Chase Express Funding. I've done nice. stuff for um, a lot of stuff for Michael's, the craft store. Ah, um, yes. A lot of stuff for Twix and Dunkin' Donuts. Like, yeah, I mean, just the, there's a, a bunch of, like, random. That's I great. haven't directed any, like, iconic commercials oh, sure. the way that, no, like, Dave, David Fincher or Michael Bay have. But, um, <laughs> you know, just a, a, a long list of, like, familiar brands. I, I love guess. it. Um, which is actually great because those projects are in and out very quick and sure. I, they've been able to help me sort of expand my toolkit um, and get paid as well. So that's nice. Mm. But uh, basically, so sorry, this is a very long-winded no, I love it. route to how I got to Bex. Um, when, as sort of the fourth season of Schumer was wrapping up and it became clear like it's going to be a while before we're back, it felt like that show had done well enough that – all right, I think it's time. I think I'm ready to like, you know, I directed a number of sketches on that show as well. It felt like uh, I feel like it's time to make my first film. Um, part of this came from meeting um, uh, the creators of Search Party, Sarah and Charles, who uh, yeah. uh, before they did Search Party, they had made this film called Fort Tilden um, that also Bride Yelly started in, but um, it won South By, and I saw it uh, because their manager would asked if I would um, sit down with them. They were interested, you know, I have these two young filmmakers. They just won South by and uh, they're interested in television. Would you sit down with them and let them kind of pick your brain? And um, the funny thing is, is that like, I totally, I, I saw their film. I saw Fort Tilden. I watched it twice and I was so blown away wow. that when we sat down and they were there to like ask me about television, I was like, eh, forget all that. Uh, tell me about your movie. <laughs> <laughs> like, I like totally made it about myself and selfishly was like, explain to me how you made this film. Oh, um, that's awesome. And they told me that they made it for like $125,000. And, and I was like, how did you pull that off? And I was like, you know, in addition to how did you pull that off? Where as college students, did you get $125,000? On the flip side. And they yes. said like, well, because they were like, this was our NYU thesis film. And so it was essentially financed through student loans. And wow. it was this sort of light bulb moment of like, oh, okay, you just have to figure it out. You just have to use every trick at your disposal to yes. like figure out how to get it made. And so that was the sort of moment for me where, you know, I, I had this script that had been, that had a producer attached and had been kind of like in development hell for a couple of years. And it was like a, a million and a half and, uh, sure. I, you know, we were just having trouble attaching a star because I'd never directed a feature before, but without a star, we couldn't get the yeah. $1.5 million, and it was this catch-22. And I was just getting so fed up that I was like, you know what? I'm just going to write something that is much less expensive, hmm. and I'm just going to make it. Even if I can't get a star attached, wow. I'm just going to do that starter film like Chris Nolan did with Following yeah. or, or, you know, um, Sarah and Charles did with Fort Tilden. And so I um I reached out to this woman Elizabeth uh, Rohrbach, whose husband and um, owns the sound facility that does all the post work on all my TV shows, okay. and uh, and Liz herself was a filmmaker who owned a, a small production company that was affiliated with that that post house. Gotcha. And I knew that she had just finished a documentary and was looking to move into narrative, and so we sat down and I was like, look, you know if we combine all of our resources and our company, both of our companies have a little bit of money that they could put up, but also you have your post facility and I have like my resources. And, yeah. you know, if we could just pool everything, why don't we just make a movie together? Like, you know, 
because by ourselves we probably wouldn't be able to pull it off but like sure. together we definitely have the resources to like get That's a feature brilliant. together um and so we started developing like a handful of ideas that we felt were affordable with the with the agreement that whichever one sort of rises to the top creatively first, we'll just be like, we're going to shoot it. That's great. And that's how Bex came about. And it was one of the ideas that um, was pitched. Uh, it was based loosely on Liz's um, friend who's a singer-songwriter who had this very interesting life story. Hmm. And so we started to kind of construct a fictional narrative very loosely based on her friend Alyssa's life, but also factoring in Alyssa's music, sort of that it would be a showcase for her music as well. Um, we even toyed with the idea of Alyssa just playing herself at one point, but she just didn't have oh, yeah. the acting experience. Gotcha. Um, she's a beautiful musician, incredible singer, but, uh, you know, we did a couple sure. screen tests and we just felt like acting wise, you know, we're probably not going to be able to sure. pull this off. Um, but then Alyssa saw Lena Hall uh, I think Alyssa was bartending and saw Alina perform. I uh, saw Alina perform at Subculture and was like, "She could be me." <laughs> uh, and Lena had, you know, recently won a Tony for Hedwig and the Angry Inch, and we listened to some of her singing. And um, she also just recently appeared on Girls in a pretty oh. explicit sex scene with Lena Dunham. <laughs> and so we're like, "Oh, okay, she's down she to act. do pretty much whatever." <laughs> yeah, and not just act, but just clearly fearless. Where her first yes. TV scene is like a explicit sex scene with another woman. So um, we reached out to her and we sat down and we, we presented her the script that we'd put together and she was really interested. I think it, for her it was, it was interesting because, all right, here's a, here's a leading role in a film, which is, you know, I'm a star on Broadway, but not necessarily a star in film and television. Mm -hmm. So this is like the first lead I've been offered. And it, it is also providing kind of like a, um, a showcase for my skill set, not just sure. acting, but also singing and, um, my whole vocal range. And once we had her on board, we were able to kind of put together a small cast of like known, you know, character actors. We got Mina Suvari, Dan Fogler, nice. um, Christine Lottie, uh, who herself is an Academy Award winning director. She won for Best Live <laughs> Action amazing. Short back in the early 90s. And um, Michael Zegan from Boardwalk Empire. And so we just That's surrounded amazing. Lena with this, you know, strong supporting cast. And uh, But yeah, I mean, the movie was made for less than five hundred thousand um, dollars with Way my company go. and Liz's awesome. company it was it, I, I'm not gonna exaggerate it's the hardest thing I've ever done <laughs> I can only imagine <laughs> yeah it was because I mean it was so far it was not a comedy it was a, it's you know they're comedic moments um, at best you could describe it as a, a dramedy but you know I would say it's more drama than comedy it's a musical and I did not have a lot of experience in that arena um, and then also it was so low budget, you know, I'm used to working on shows where Viacom just writes a big fat check and is like, here's your money. And yeah. I don't have to worry about where the money's coming from. Yeah. And they have a team of lawyers that deal with all the legal side of things. So even though I oversee the negotiations, I don't have to, you know, I, I don't oh, have to worry yeah. about who's going to pay for the legal end, um, which is very, you know, yeah, and tends yes. to be expensive. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, on our budget, you know, we could afford, sort of basically like these bare bones legal services where you get a number you get templates for all the actor deals and then two other like contracts which we ended up using for the music and the life rights and then everything else is kind of like you're on your own so a lot of the lost a lot of the legal stuff is me mm -hmm. trying to teach myself how contingent compensation deals work and how back-end deals work and uh, it, so parts of it were really fun creatively, and then mm. other parts of it, it felt like I was studying for the LSATs, you know? <laughs> like, it's oh, just, snap. like, the most boring, 
end of the business, but yes. you have to figure it out because, you know, we yeah. couldn't afford to have someone else do it for us. That's so rad. I can't wait to see it. I'm sincerely excited. Uh, I'm really proud of it. It was definitely one of those things where you get to the end and after the whole process, you're like, is this good? Like, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> I, like, I think it's good, but I just can't <laughs> tell. It seems like the and, early reviews uh, have been pretty positive. That's awesome. Yeah, we got a great review from Variety and a really strong review from The Hollywood Reporter and, awesome. and a couple other places. And then obviously winning the festival was nice. So, um, but, uh, you know, look, it's, yeah, it's still a small movie, it, you know, and, uh, you know, it's it's not gonna it's not Little Miss Sunshine. It's not gonna be one of these of course, breakout but... indie smash hits. Uh, but I think it definitely is gonna find itself a small yeah. but devoted audience, and Absolutely. I think that I, I I would be totally fine with that if it's just a small little niche hit. Because um, I think yeah, it won't be everyone's cup of tea, but I I I hope that people enjoy it. Absolutely. How do you approach life and work differently now than you did really when you were fresh out of college? Uh, I mean, now, you know, I have two children. Um, I live in the suburbs. I'm married. Uh, so now it's a lot more about time management, you know. Uh, it, but back then, you know, uh, there was sort of a freedom to like, well, I have no money and I have all the time in the world. So I would, you know, I'd work at Comedy Central until 6 p.m., but then I'd go to the comedy clubs. I'd watch comedy until 10 p.m., and then I'd go, like, to the improv theaters and, like, rehearse with, you know, I, it was just all comedy all the all time, the time yeah. you know, um, yes. and all my friends were in comedy, you know, so it was just one of those things where it was just, I really immersed myself in it. Now mm. I'm older, I'm more separated, you know, I'll go to the UCB if someone tells me there's a, sh- a show I have to see, um, the intern who's running the box office doesn't recognize me. <laughs> you know, I, to, <laughs> I know I'm no longer allowed to have that sense of entitlement where I can just waltz into the back <laughs> green room. Uh, but it's like, you know, going back to college when you're, uh, when you graduated 15 years ago. Yes. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's mostly just about time management and just knowing like, sure. all right, here are the hours that are set aside for work. And then, and then being, you know, I'm, we're playing at Outfest in Los Angeles this Sunday, but I, I just felt like the travel was too much. So I'm, I'm staying at home to hang out with my kids. That's rad. I love it. Um, and one, just one final question along those lines would be, um, if, and I'm sure you get asked for advice all the time, right? Once you've experienced some success, everybody wants to know how you did it. What's the secret? Um, but if you were to talk to a room of recent graduates and they're getting ready to try to land an internship and really try to make it in whatever their creative pursuit is, what would be just a few words of wisdom you might share with them, um, that might help them, uh, on their way? Uh, I mean, look, if you're if you're going to work in film or TV, I would say you sort of have to bite the bullet and, and either move to New York or L.A., probably L.A. It's where they print sure. the checks. Um, <laughs> and, you know, if you're looking for, like, what's that initial job going to be, I would say generally the, the best entry-level job is working at an agency or management company. Hmm. Um, you know, the agencies really are the nexus of this business, and even though it will be a job like answering phones and tracking your clients' paychecks, you know, and (laughs) uh, stuff like that, Um, you know, if you're answering phones for an agent, like, say, a a literary agent, say you want to be a comedy producer, a comedy writer, I mean, you know, you're you're listening in on phone calls that are coming in from talent, you know, they're coming in from producers, that Mm -hmm. are coming in from network execs. Yeah. So you really, it's, you're really learning all sides of the business at once and being, and being exposed to all sides of it at once. And, um, 
and I would stress that people don't seem to know this, but like if you go to work for, um, you know, as the assistant to an agent, there's no expectation that you yourself are then going to have to become an agent. Um, the vast majority huh. of them don't. Interesting. Um, some of them do. Some of them find like, oh, this is I really love this. This is what I want to do, and and they start working their way up through that side of things. But generally, there's no expectation that that's going to be the case. And what will happen is, is if you want to be a writer, say, like, and you are working for an agent who represents a number of successful writers, they get a show picked up, and they need a writer's assistant. Um, oh. Then you, as their agent's assistant, if you've done a good job, assuming you've been competent <laughs> and like you put in your, you know, you haven't phoned it in, um, you are going to have a sort of shortcut to getting that gig. You know, um, the writer is going to pay their agent back by like hiring their assistant in for a job. Um, conversely, if it's sure. like if you want to go be a development executive and a, and a, you know, coordinator level development position opens up at a company that your agent has close ties to, you're going to have a much better shot of getting that job than someone who's just cold applying off the website. Um, so, and also just, you know, you're learning the business and you're also interacting with a ton of other assistants who are your age, um, who are also going to move up through the industry at the same time. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of this instant networking, um, situation. So if, if you are a college senior and with, you know that you want to work in this industry, but you might not even be entirely sure what side of it you want to work on, or you just don't know, or let's say you want to be a, you know, a director or a writer or producer or whatever, but you just don't know where to even begin. I, I really suggest, you know, um, especially in LA where the major headquarters of these agencies are, there's just so much turnover on the assistant side because these assistants yeah. are, you know, they're spending a year or two there and then they're moving on to another thing. Every single agent has an assistant. Um, so there's just a tremendous amount of turnover, and it ends up being pretty easy to get one of those jobs within a year or wow. so if you're really dedicated to That's it. That's a brilliant bit of advice. Thank you. We've never heard that one before, so I appreciate it. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't know, no problem. Uh, I wish someone had told me, <laughs> told me that when I, was, when I was younger. <laughs> That's fantastic. Dan, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you for spending the hour with me, talking about your life story. You're such a lovely guy. Oh, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It was a pleasure.